Let me say good morning to you, church. Uh, good morning. Hey, good morning to those of you who are watching and worshiping with us online. Glad that you all are, are present with us, too. Um, before we dig in today, just want to take a moment and, and thank uh, Kobe for uh, carrying the load last week and bringing the word. I think he's probably locked away in the audio visual room at the moment. Um, I called, or Mark called me last Sunday uh, afternoon, and I said, uh, how did how'd Kobe do today? How'd it go this morning? And uh, Mark said, me and you don't have jobs anymore. And I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't mad. I mean, I was like, I get it. Yeah, I knew it was only, I mean, maybe it happened a little quicker than expected, um, but I knew it was only a matter of time. Uh, what a gifted somebody Kobe Dorsley is, and we're lucky to have him on our staff. So I say thank you to Kobe uh, for bringing, bringing the word. If you got your Bible on you this morning, turn me to Luke chapter 13, and we're going to look at the first five verses. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, and this is what the text says. This is from the ESV. It says, there were some present at that very time who told him about him as Jesus. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And God, as I do every time I step up here, I ask now for your anointing. I want to be a channel of your Holy Spirit. I want to speak words that you want me to say. And I pray for those who are listening, both in their homes and in the room, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would give them eyes to see what you want to show them and ears to hear what you want them to hear. Uh, Lord, move in our midst this morning. You're already moving in uh, our worship uh, through music. I pray that that would continue. pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, let me tell you one of the most annoying things about me, okay? And I recognize that as soon as I say this, that those of you who know me really well are gonna be like, dude, there are way more annoying things about you than that. But I think one of the most annoying things about me is uh, I am a contrarian by nature. I, I, I can be uh, a bit disagreeable. Um, Bethany can confirm. You know, and it's not great. Like it's something that I've been trying to work on over the years. But I'm the kind of person that if somebody comes to me and they're like, you know, Brock, um, my favorite ice cream is chocolate ice cream. Like that's my favorite flavor. Then in my mind, I immediately begin to build a case for vanilla ice cream. You know, and the thing about it is, uh, I, I may not even like vanilla ice cream. Like it doesn't matter. I just want to make sure that we're looking at things from every side and every different angle. Are any of y'all built like me? You know, is uh, anybody married to somebody who's built like me? Okay. It's not great. I'm owning it. Okay. Uh, 
I'm, I'm really trying to get to the place where you now when somebody's like, chocolate's my favorite flavor of ice cream, I'm like, yeah, chocolate is a great ice cream. Yeah, it's really, I could see how that would be your favorite flavor. Now, uh, pastorally speaking, um, in a lot of ways, uh, being a contrarian for the last 20 years or so, I think served me pretty well because it's, uh, it's allowed me to see things from other people's sides. I mean, when people disagree with me about stuff, like I think I'm fairly easy to disagree with because part of that contrary nature is I'm willing to put myself in other people's shoes and see things from other people's angles, you know, which means that um, if we disagree on something, we can still be friends. I mean, I, I have a lot of people who don't see things the way that I see them or think like, you know, think the same ways that I think, that think like me, and, and I still like them, still get along with them. Um, but my contrary nature has also led me over the years to push back against, uh, against spiritual or cultural trends. And what I mean by that is this, if I find myself or when I find myself in a church setting that feels overly legalistic, overly rigid, or overly judgmental, I am going to preach grace and open-mindedness. Uh, I'm always, it's difficult for me to explain, but I'm always trying to get things back to some spiritual mean that feels innate in me. And it feels holy, and, and I think it's right. It's just a part of who I am, and I've seen it as a part of my call for the last 20 years of my life. But uh, from where I stand today, things feel a bit too loose, a little bit too unhinged, um, too anything goes. And I can feel myself tightening up a bit. Like I, I felt it coming along for some time. And I think the people who know me really well have seen it and they've heard it in, in, in my tone and in my attitude. I can feel myself reaching for doctrine reading old books, reciting the creeds, you know, like trying to hold on to truth in a world that feels like it's becoming increasingly faithless. You know, historically speaking, uh, a prophet is just somebody who has a good memory. Historically speaking, prophets are just people who have really good memories. When everybody else forgets the things that God has said and what God has done and what God intends to do, the prophet remembers and reminds. I want to make sure that you get that this morning. Hear me say that. The role of a good prophet is to remember and to remind. Right now, if you listen to people in our culture, even some religious people, they'll say about the Bible that it's just another book. But the prophet remembers and reminds us that the Bible is God-breathed. And the man shouldn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right now, if you listen to people in our culture, even some religious people, they'll say about the church that the church is hypocritical and irrelevant. But the prophet remembers and reminds us that the church is the bride of Christ and it is God's primary change agent in the world and not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against Christ's holy church. Right now, 
if you listen to people in our culture, even some religious people, they'll say that the way to freedom is through tolerance. But the prophet remembers and reminds us that true freedom is only found in Christ and by way of repentance. Church, our souls aren't liberated by ignoring sin, but by confessing it. The way of the cross of Christ isn't tolerance, it is repentance. And what we need in the world today are more prophets, or at least more people who are willing to listen to the prophets. I mean, who, who are you listening to, you know? We have access to the Holy Scriptures. We have access to 2,000 years worth of brilliant scholarship on the Scriptures. We have access to the Holy Spirit. And yet most people today are still developing their theology based on the writings of social media influencers. It's puzzling to me. You know, like I look out at the state of the world and I'm like, I think I'll stick with Aquinas, you know? I'm like, you can have whatever thing that you read on Facebook last Tuesday from somebody that, that, you know, that you can have that. I think I'll take the Summa Theologica that Aquinas wrote, you know, years ago. And it's not, I'm not saying that new is necessarily bad, okay? But I'm also, I'm certainly saying new doesn't necessarily mean right. When you've got 2,000 years of historical writings and a lot of times they're being thrown out the window because somebody read one article on Facebook or one Instagram post, I'm thinking, what's happening here, you know? Are we, are we listening to the right things? Are we reading the right things? Church, let me encourage you. Even when it seems like everybody else is forgetting, don't be afraid to remember and to remind. And in this simple way in a world that I think is suffering from memory loss, your voice will be prophetic. Remember, remind, reach for doctrine, read old books, recite the creeds, do whatever you have to do to hold on to the truth. And you know, I'm sorry if I sound like an old man just yelling at clouds in the sky, right? But I do turn 41 years old this week, and sometimes these clouds be killing my vibes, okay? As a contrarian, when things feel too rigid, I'm going to preach grace. And when things feel too loose, I'm going to preach truth. And at all times, I'm going to preach Jesus, who the Bible says was full of both grace and truth. Now, I want to use the story that we looked at from Luke 13 to call your attention to two cultural shifts that I see in our society that make me nervous. And here they are. And I think they're connected, and hopefully by the end of the thing, I'll connect the dots between um, the two. Who knows what the Spirit wants to do, but that's what I have in mind. Here's the first one. The first shift that I see in society that makes me nervous is a shift toward public outrage and away from individual repentance. A shift toward public outrage and away from individual repentance. That's the first shift that I see that makes me nervous. The second one is the shift toward the love of God and away from His holiness. 
I think in our society we are seeing a shift toward God's love, heavy influence on God's love, and not a whole lot here and a whole lot of talk about His holiness. And I'm going to try to use this story from Luke 13 to sort of speak to um, both of those things. In Luke 13, several people approached Jesus and they began to tell him about how Pilate had called for the murder of several Galileans. Now, according to the historian Josephus, this is what Josephus says happened. He says, at that time, Pilate wanted to bring water into Jerusalem. And so he found a source 25 miles out and he was building aqueducts and he was going to use those aqueducts to run water from that water source into the city. But a lot of the Jews and a lot of the Galileans were really frustrated by Pilate's building plan. One, because it was very expensive. Two, because they thought it was unnecessary. And three, because it was an intrusion on their property. I mean, if the state came in, and it's not really not all that different today, but if the state comes in and they're like, hey, we want to use your property to put this aqueduct in, you don't have a choice. You're just like, well, we'll knock your house down and they'll put the aqueduct there. And that's what they were doing back then. And so the people, a lot of the Jews, a lot of the Galileans were frustrated by this. And so they protested against it. I mean, they had a protest like you see on the news, a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, of Jews and Galileans came together and they protested against Pilate and they protested against his building project. And so this is what Pilate did. He told his soldiers that he wanted them to dress in regular clothes. And so they put on regular clothes and he told them uh, just inside their outer garment, he wanted them all to carry daggers. And he asked them to infiltrate the protesters. And as they protested, as soon as Pilate gave the word, his soldiers were supposed to remove the daggers and kill anybody who disagreed with him. And so that's what happened. Pilate gave the word, they pulled the daggers, they killed a bunch of Galileans and Jews that day, and the blood of many Galileans was spilled. Now, when the people went to Jesus to tell him about what Pilate had done, about what they had heard, I think they expected to rouse Jesus to action. Like, I think they thought, okay, if we tell him what about this event, this tragedy, what Pilate has done, maybe Jesus will use his power finally to lead a rebellion against the state and against Pilate. They thought maybe he'll publicly denounce Pilate in this decision that he's made. At the very least, I think they thought, surely if we tell him this story, we tell him about this tragedy, surely he will share in our outrage. But that wasn't Jesus' response. Church, notice what Jesus did. They wanted to talk about the news. Jesus wanted to talk about their souls. They wanted to focus on current events. Jesus wanted to to talk about their hearts. They were focused on public outrage. Jesus was focused on individual repentance. They were going, well, what about Pilate and those people? And Jesus is going, what about you? How's your heart? How's your soul? So if a tragedy strikes in your life like it struck in their lives, would you be ready? Classic redirect. You're trying to talk about public. I want to talk about what's going on in your soul, in your heart. The Jewish New Testament commentary says this about this text, and it's pretty great. This is what it says. It says, then as now, people did not want to think about their own evil ways. So they put their attention on current events to distract them. News is the opiate of the people. Most of us cannot affect world events very much, but all of us can worry about them and criticize the sins of others. 
instead of focusing on our own life and our own sins. I'm going to read that again. And if it sounds mean, it's from a commentary. It's not, it's not me personally. Then as now, people did not want to think about their own evil ways, so they put their attention on current events to distract them. News is the opiate of the people. Most of us cannot affect world events very much, but all of us can worry about them and criticize the sins of others instead of focusing on our own life and our own sins. Church, as long as we keep talking about how bad things are out there, we don't have to consider how bad things are in here. Do you understand what I'm saying? By focusing on the sins of others, we can remain blind to our own sin, and we often do. It is a, it's a trick that we use, and it works, and it's a problem. We, like the people who come in to Jesus at this time, have a tendency to focus on public outrage instead of individual repentance. We would rather focus on them than us. We make other people villains so we don't have to worry about developing virtue. We have a tendency to villainize other people so we don't have to worry about developing our character or our virtue. I want you to be honest with me for a minute here, church, okay? And uh, I'll be honest with you and tell you that what I'm about to talk about I think matters a whole lot, but I'm not sure that I have fully developed the idea. So forgive me for that. If what I say doesn't make sense, that's on me, okay? But here it is. Over the course of the last year, uh, I recognize, especially with the pandemic, the church really hasn't been able to give people a lot of opportunities for spiritual and character growth. And all I mean by that is like the usual things that we do for spiritual development, a lot of those things because of the pandemic were closed down or shut off. Like we didn't, we weren't able to give opportunities for community. We didn't have a lot of opportunities uh, for discipleship. We didn't have a whole lot of mission opportunities. I and mean, we got the food pantry, but as far as like actually going into the, we didn't have a lot of opportunities to do things like that. And at a time when spiritual growth is kind of hard to find or difficult to come by, I bet many of you have come to villainize people in your lives. I bet many of you have people in your heads, this is not everybody, but I bet many of you at a time when you don't feel like you were growing a whole lot spiritually, you, you didn't feel like you were growing a whole lot spiritually, I bet many of you have people in your heads that you disagree with politically or you disagree with theologically. And for whatever reason, you have like one individual or a couple individuals that you've kind of made a scapegoat for your hatred. You know, like when you think about your disdain, when you think about your ire, when you think about all that is wrong with the world, you've got a couple of faces that come to mind. You're like, oh, I'd like to, if I could just take, you know, say, if I could just, am I speaking anybody's language? Okay, don't say amen, because you, I, I don't want to know who your person is. Uh, but if that is you, if you're one of these people who over the course of the pandemic, you've kind of begun to villainize, I want to say a couple of things to you. The, the first one is, um, that's not all that uncommon, okay? It's not healthy, but it's not uncommon. It's one of the ways that our ego tries to protect itself. When we aren't growing on our own, we will often push other people down because that feels like progress. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, man. 
Brock, you're so good at what you do, man. We hired you back, okay? You're back in. Um, nobody said amen. And that's fine. Amen to me. I think I, I got one right here. Right on. When we don't feel like we're growing on our own, I believe this is so true. When we don't feel like we're, when we don't feel like we're being given opportunities to be heroes in our own lives, we'll villainize other people because that mimics progress. It's not progress, but it feels to us like progress because by looking down on other people, we feel like we've moved up, and that's not, that's not true. Jesus was never satisfied by this. Jesus was committed to making sure that everyone in his audience was checking their own hearts. Jesus was going, hey, let's not talk about Pilate and let's not talk about them, but let's focus on you, church. Let me ask you this morning, how are you really? How's your heart? How's your soul? We've spent a whole year talking about the news. We've spent a whole year talking about politics. We've spent a whole year talking about the drama that's going on in the world around us. But how's your, what's going on inside of you? When's the last time that you've repented of the darkness that is in you? If the same tragedy that struck the Galileans 2,000 years ago, if you experienced a similar tragedy, would you be ready? Let me encourage you this morning, church, to confess your sins to the one who is faithful and just to forgive and who will purify you from all unrighteousness. Put to death the villain that is in you, and I bet you'll see less villains around you. Did you hear that? Put to death the villain that is inside of you, and I guarantee you, you will see less villains in your atmosphere. A renewed heart has a way of leading to renewed eyes. Change in here leads to change up here. The people were all about public outrage. Jesus was all about individual repentance. Prophet's just somebody with a really good memory, somebody who remembers and reminds. After the people mentioned to Jesus what happened to the Galileans, Jesus brought up a different tragedy to them. He said to them, he said, do you think that the people that the tower fell on in Siloam, he said, do you think they were worse sinners than other people? And then before he even gives them an opportunity to answer, he says, of course not. But unless you too repent, you will all likewise perish. Church, one of the things I think we need to understand when we read this text is that Jesus didn't see the world the way we see it. Jesus saw things from an eternal perspective. Like Jesus knew that death wasn't the worst thing that could happen to a person. The people were worried about earthly tragedies, and Jesus was much more worried about their eternal destinations. Those who have a relationship with God by way of Jesus will spend eternity in heaven. And those who do not, who choose to remain in sin, will spend eternity in hell. The Bible is very clear about this. Our God is a holy God. His judgment is perfect, and it is righteous, and it is true. And one day, he is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, just as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And while you hear a lot of people in our culture 
talking about the love of God, I think you hear very few people talking about his judgment, his wrath, his holiness. I want to do a little experiment now to try to prove my point, okay? And this requires audience participation. And so, here we go. Will somebody in the room please quote for me John 3.16? Just say it out loud. The Bible verse. John 3.16. If you know it, somebody please quote it. Don't whisper it. If you know it, say it out loud. Okay. How many of you in the room, you didn't, but how many of you in the room could quote a variation of that verse out loud? Raise your hand. I mean, it's definitely over half. We're probably talking about 75% of the room. John 3.16, we could quote that bad boy. All right. Now... Will somebody in the room please quote for me John chapter 3, verse 36? Nobody's even whispering that. All right. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Church, that verse is in the same chapter of the Bible. It is 20 verses away from John 3.16. 75% of the room could quote John 3.16. Nobody in the room quoted John 3.36. Why? Could it be because we live in a culture that is so focused on God's love that we've come to ignore his holiness? One verse speaks very clearly to the love of God. Another verse speaks very clearly to the wrath of God. And we're like, I know which one of those I'm going to memorize. You know, when Peter first encountered Jesus, I love this story. And, I, and uh, for a lot of years, I think I missed it. Um, but when Peter first met Jesus, Peter's in a boat and he's fishing. And he's got a group of friends there and they're all fishing. And he's not catching anything. And you all know the story. Jesus tells him, they cast your net to the other side. And so Peter casts his net to the other side. And when he does, he pulls in a ton of fish. And in so doing, he recognizes the holiness of the person that he's talking to. And he hits his knees and he looks to Jesus and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. That was his first response. Depart from me. For I am sinful. Now, I told you at the beginning of this thing, I was hoping to be able to connect these two dots. And this is the place where I think they connect. One of the reasons I think we're seeing a shift towards public outrage and away from individual repentance is because we have seen a shift toward the love of God and away from the holiness of God. Because if we don't talk about the holiness of God, if we don't talk about his judgment, if we don't talk about his wrath, there's no need to repent. I mean, we're the kind of people, unlike Peter, who sees Jesus and his first act is immediate repentance, got to depart from me. I'm a sinful man. We're the kind of folks that we meet Jesus and we're like, hey, Jesus, come over here. Hey, can we hate the same people together? That'd be awesome. 
Can we, I got these sins that I hate. Do you hate those too? Okay, great, let's be on the same side. That's public outrage. That's not Peter's response. Peter hits his knees and goes, I see the sin that is in me. Church, when's the last time that you have repented? When's the last time that you've mourned over the sin and the darkness that is in you? Our current culture is much more comfortable speaking about God's love than his holiness. But let me remind you, I am a contrarian by nature, which means talk about what other people are doing. I'm going to ask you about your heart. Talk about the love of God. I'm going to speak to you about his holiness because I see it as my job to kind of try to bring things back to some sort of spiritual mean that is just innate to me. It feels holy. It feels like it is a part of my call to remember and to remind And so I remind you this morning, church, the Bible is God-breathed. The church is the bride of Christ. Repentance is the only way to freedom. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I tried to the best of my abilities to speak truth today. I pray that your truth would resonate in the room. Move in the lives of people. Help them to lay some things down, to to let go, help them to go to war with the enemy that is within them and to not villainize people outside of them. Lord, uh, we love you. You're better to us than we deserve. Give us a new year of fire and pursuit and discipleship and community and mission and spiritual fervor. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.